0: Hello and welcome to the Access of Space, Defense, and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space, defense and security. Stay tuned. Episode 48 is a follow-up of episode 47. So I kindly request you to first listen to episode 47 to connect with our discussion in episode 48. Thank you and enjoy this episode. You know, as we discussed about this uh, several events, what implications uh, does NATO's enlargement have for the delicate balance of power in the Eastern Europe? Because uh, as we see, I mean, not all of the Eastern Europe, but, you know, there are like certain territories, even like Estonia. So Estonia has an enhanced uh, forward group, uh, battleground group of NATO. Uh, it's, of course, because it is bordering directly with Russia. So from that aspect, and, you know, there are some small conflicts uh, which also keep on going on, on and off. Uh, so what what is your thought on this, uh, the delicate balance of power, keeping, keeping a delicate balance of power in Eastern Europe from NATO's perspective?
1: Well, you know, unfortunately, NATO has had to do more and more to try to um, ensure that the members in the East are secure from Russian aggression. Uh, when NATO was first beginning this process of enlargement to the region, uh, prior, when, when Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic were issued invitations in 1997, NATO and Russia signed something called the NATO-Russia Founding Act, uh, which tried to create a positive relationship between NATO and Russia. There was a, a council created a form of institutional format for discussions with Russia, uh, and there were you know, NATO made clear that it would, you know, it had no intention and no need and no plans to deploy uh, infrastructure, permanent uh, basing of troops uh, in the east, because it was trying to reassure Russia, uh, and and it it wouldn't put nuclear weapons uh, in those countries either, uh, which you know which remains important. But uh, you know, as Russia has become more and more aggressive, NATO has had to step up its presence in the East. you know, initially, it was doing rotating deployments because it didn't want to be the country that violated the founding act and wanted to stick with the founding act uh, s- statement about no intention, no need, no plans to um. Uh, yes you know to have permanent basing but but Russian, but but you need you know you need more and more uh troops in in the east uh you know the founding act is is dead so it really shouldn't be a guide for for nato policy uh, uh and that's been true for for you know i would argue since 2014 but there were countries even after 2014 that were trying to to keep it alive but and NATO's had to engage in, you know, more exercises, more, uh, you know, more patrols, patrols over the over the Baltic and Black Seas, uh, air and sea patrols. So, uh, I, you know, I think what's been clear is that just as NATO does not want a direct war with Russia, and President Biden's yes. made that very clear, he's said many times he doesn't want to start World War III, Uh, He's not putting troops on the ground in Ukraine, uh, but they're going to defend every inch of NATO territory. And just as the West has not wanted to start a war between NATO and Russia, it's very clear Russia doesn't want one either. Uh, And Russia has been very careful during this war to attack Ukraine, uh, but it has not attacked Poland, for example, where supplies are coming in from the West. and I don't think it will. So I think, I think, you know, NATO's done a good job in deterring Russian military aggression against its members. The problem, yes. of course, is, you know, we have this, we have this war between Russia and Ukraine that uh, may go on for years to come. Uh, and it's not clear uh, how best, whether that can be re- resolved, whether you, you know, there's, People talk about the prospect for a deal The you know, yeah. at this point we would be asking Ukraine to be giving up territory that belongs to it, to Russia. And we know what happens on Russian occupied Ukrainian territory. It's terrible for the people. And, you know, Ukraine shouldn't be, shouldn't have to give up territory. And Russia doesn't show any interest in negotiating anyway. So I think we're gonna be having this war for a long time to come and and so, Uh, And that will uh, delay any Ukrainian prospects for joining NATO. And so the real questions are how to try to keep Ukraine secure, the part of Ukraine that Ukraine controls secure in the meantime, and to try to help it liberate as much territory as it can.
0: Yes, and uh, I believe, as you mentioned, uh, uh, NATO has been successful, actually, in reducing the impact of uh, Russian influence on uh, several uh, countries in the Eastern Europe. And I think this this has been the result of actually, you know, a strong cooperation. That's that's what I believe, uh, especially in the European security domain, because we see not only on the political and the diplomatic level, but we see NATO also leveraging this cooperation to advance its technologies. So from that perspective, how uh, how does NATO collaborate with the European Union to address the shared and cooperative you know, security challenges in Europe?
1: Well, what's what's you know the most interesting aspect of for European security in the transatlantic in the transatlantic context is the contributions that the different countries make to the European security. Uh, there's been a complaint from the. US. for a long time that Europe has not done its fair share. We see Europe doing, you know as much or even more than the United States with respect to assistance to Ukraine. Uh, but m- militarily, the Europeans are just not as capable as the United States, and so yes, they that's have very true. They, I
0: agree with you. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes, so, yes. and the question is, can there be anything? Can Europeans do anything about that? Will they do anything about that? I think that's something. Uh, it's important to recognize, though, when these issues really emerged um, as big discussion topics in the 1990s. I mean, there was a, there's always been a concern about Europe not doing as much as it should or could. Uh, But in the 90s, the United States bears some of the blame because the United States was worried that Europe would develop a separate defense identity, that it would really move towards making the European Union the main actor in Europe. And again, the United States is engaged in Europe through NATO, That's, that's the primary institutional engagement um it's not a yes. member of the european union so if the european union developed a stronger defense component the united states you know wouldn't wouldn't be part of that and so yes um so the uh the the and and the europeans you know have had such large social welfare programs they've had priorities elsewhere they haven't really felt the the need to spend on defense. Uh, that starts mm-hmm. to change after the Russian invasion in 2014. And there was a prom, uh that the NATO countries uh, at their summit later that year in 2014, agreed that they should um, all aspire to the goal of spending 2% of their GDP on defense by 2024, which is next year. Uh, many countries will not make that target. And now NATO, at its last summit, NATO was talking about, thinking about 2% as a floor, not a ceiling. And so, you know, the idea is that they should do even more. Uh, But the Europeans are still lagging on this, especially, you know, all eyes are on Germany as to whether it would really become a, a, a more capable partner. And... Uh, you know, it's a very important debate in the United States. And certainly, if Donald Trump wins the presidency uh, a year from now, uh, yes. he has made clear that he might very well pull the United States out of NATO, which would leave, the, you know, the Europeans are are very dependent on the United States for security. We see that dramatically in this war. Yes. And uh, they don't seem to be making a lot of progress in addressing that dependence on the United States. And I think, you know, we could all be in for a really rough time in transatlantic relations if Donald Trump returns to the presidency.
0: Yes. And uh, as I mentioned, you know, uh, in the previous question, a little bit about the technological aspects as well. Uh, so what security threats such as like cyber security threats or you know even the hybrid warfare uh, mm-hmm. does NATO's uh, expansion seek to address uh, because I believe as we go towards uh, uh, you know uh, the NATO's expansion uh, the Russian tactics have been you know kind of a- a- amplifying and we see- saw the cyber attacks actually uh, during the Ukraine war as well I mean that cyber attack that was conducted by the Russians it also affected the other Eastern European countries. Uh, so from that perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on this? Like how NATO actually seeks to, you know, kind of engage or advance or help even uh, the smaller nations which are there in the NATO uh, to help them kind of advance uh, their technological aspects uh, for the security?
1: Yeah, it's a, it, it's a big challenge for NATO. um you know, you had... Uh, Gosh, fifteen years ago, more than fifteen years ago, you had the 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 Russian uh, attacks, cyber attacks on Estonia, um, yes, and in fact, led to the creation of a cyber center in Estonia, NATO cyber center in Estonia. Um, you know, it it hasn't been a a NATO strong suit to develop these uh, capabilities to address these issues. I I think you know what your question highlights is. There has long been a need for much greater cooperation between NATO and the European Union. Remember, you know these are two institutions that are located in Brussels. Uh, yes. But they they don't have the the level of the cooperation that they should. You know, there's a lot of, I mean, these, the European countries have a lot of capabilities, non-military capabilities, to deal with a lot of these kinds of issues. Yes. Uh, and I think the development of greater cooperation between, between NATO and the, and the EU could could help uh, in that regard. Um, it's certainly something, if you look at the NATO summit declarations, you know, 2022, 2023, you see a lot of this being addressed. You see, uh, you know, yes. rhetorically, you see a lot of this being addressed, a lot of discussion of the cyber issues, discussion of China as well, uh, and the threat posed by China. So I, 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 I think you still, though, See a lot of what's taking place in in those areas um, more at the national level that, than you do through at the institutional level like NATO. So there's still a lot of work to be done.
0: Yes, and uh, this question is a little bit, uh, I would say, very much general. Uh, so I, you know, you can actually answer it from, uh, I would say, as generalist, generalist perspective. So what is the public opinion on NATO's enlargement in Europe and how do these sentiments influence national policies? Uh, Because you know, uh, when I first came to France uh, back in 2017 and you know, it's been almost now the seventh year is going on I saw a little bit change in the way the French people are now perceiving you know, the NATO Uh, It's not that they don't want to be in NATO but you know, somewhere I think the policies of France have been in such a way that they ha- want their more independent voice, you know, in any kind of matters. Uh, so the public sentiments, uh, I think uh, they are not hurt and all, but I think they have evolved and changed a little bit. So, from that perspective, uh, what are your thoughts on this issue?
1: Oh, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's such an interesting issue. Again, I think what we've we've seen is tremendous European dependence on the United States for its security. For a long time, you know, for a country like France, as opposed to countries in Eastern Europe that are that are right there next to Russia, for a country like France, the Russian threat was pretty abstract. Um, yes. you know, much greater concern in Europe, of course, about migration coming in from the South, uh, uh, you know, from across the Mediterranean, uh, into Europe and, you know, from places like Syria and Iraq and Libya and so on, uh, from Africa, uh, you know, I mean, for the Southern European countries, you know, that's been seen as a, as a, as a bigger threat, uh, and, um, and i think especially with the with the trump years the first trump years uh from 2017 to 2021 starting to be a recognition yes. that this dependence by europe on the united states is not good i um, mean you know we've seen president macron uh wanting to see the european union play a bigger role um yes. you know wanting to uh to create a little space there while recognizing how important it is to still have a good relationship with the United States. I I think, you know, I I think we'll be in very different positions depending on whether President Biden wins re-election or whether Donald Trump returns to the White House. If President Biden wins re-election, Europeans will breathe a sigh of relief. I think we won't see as much forward movement on more independence in Europe um, because if they can they can continue to rely on the United States. They, you know, they won't have to spend as much. Um, and yes. you know, it's a daunting task to create the kind of capabilities that they would need to create on their own. If Donald Trump wins the presidency, I I don't think Europe's going to have much of a choice because uh, I do think yes. Donald Trump will seek to take the United States out of NATO. In which case, uh, you're really not going to have much uh, of NATO, and and yes. all eyes will shift toward the European Union. Uh, and then the question will be, what can the Europeans do to build up their defense? So I, I think a lot rests on the US presidential election next year.
0: Yeah, I think definitely it's a very critical point. And, uh, you know, I think we are now at the end of the podcast. Uh, so uh, to touch upon the final uh, part of this, I would say NATO's interest has been also increasing in the Indo Pacific region, uh, certainly because, you know, there has been an uh, high level uh Chinese interference and the dominance that is going on and I see United States especially as one of the key countries uh involving in conversation with uh India Australia and Japan through the quad group and in that we have seen you know a lot of uh, NATO member states uh, uh through I would say several discussions even in the G22 we saw recently in India uh there have been, you know, a lot of interest of the NATO member state in the Indo-Pacific region. So, can you tell us briefly about uh, what potential threats uh, that could be, or uh, potential conflicts that could be addressed, if at all, uh, NATO comes in full force uh, in the Indo-Pacific region to possibly interfere in some of the conflicts?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we don't really know. We do know that that NATO is building its partnerships. With four key countries in the region, Japan, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, those countries have been represented at uh, NATO, at the, at the two recent NATO summits, 2022 and 2023. Uh, 2023, we saw NATO move forward with the development of individual partnership plans with each of these four countries. There was even talk prior to the 2023 summit that NATO would establish a liaison office in Japan, but the French, French President Macron uh, rejected okay. that idea. He thought it would be too provocative toward China. Uh, so that idea was shelved for the time being. But but you see a recognition on the part of NATO. And this started during the Trump years, I think initially in 2019-2020, NATO was responding to Trump's desire that, that NATO uh that European allies take the China threat more seriously and and NATO wanted to try to stay on Trump's good side. Uh, so that that was part of the impetus, but I, I think you've also had a recognition in Europe about the growing threat that China poses. And so uh, you have this interest. Um, I don't think that NATO is going to be hugely engaged in yes. the Indo-Pacific. It's far, most countries can't really do much there. I mean, you really have the British and French and maybe you know, eventually the Germans will be able to to take more action. Certainly, at this point, the British and French are the main countries that are able to have a presence in the region. Uh, and I and for example, if if China did move militarily against Taiwan, uh, and the United States reacted, uh, it, you know that is outside of the scope of NATO's Article Five about an attack on one being an attack on all. So I don't I don't think you would you would see NATO respond militarily in that situation, but the United States would expect European political and economic support. And so I think it's really important for NATO to have discussions now about how the institution would respond in the event of a Taiwan scenario. Um, I think for now we will see uh, greater liaisons, greater engagement, military to military discussions, exercises, just an effort to sort of think about how these regions are connected. Um, But I don't don't think we have a fully formed idea yet of of what that's gonna mean long-term. And you mentioned India. I mean, India is such an interesting country, such an important country in the Indo-Pacific Quad, as you mentioned, uh, with Japan, Australia, and the United States, Uh, but, you know, has a longstanding policy of of avoiding alliances. And so, um, you know that relationship you know will be an interesting one uh, to see how it how the, the relationship develops for india within the indo pacific quad and and its relationship long term uh, with nato given given its history
0: yes yeah i think uh, this is an interesting issue and i believe uh, in the coming years we'll see more and more developments uh, as I believe uh, as uh, China's influence has been increased I mean the Solomon Island issue we saw I think uh, a year ago uh, where I think Australia Australia has been under high pressure actually because uh, a lot of their economic ties are with China uh, so I think uh, we might definitely see I, I will be very much interesting to see how you know the NATO member states actually react to the situation because uh, I believe uh, even you know, the France has their some of their territories in the Indo-Pacific, so it would be kind of interesting to see in the future how these things uh, develop ahead. Uh, you know, uh, I think we are uh, now at the final part of the podcast. Uh, so the final question is actually not related to our topic of the discussion, uh, but uh, I believe a lot of students and research scholars also listen to this podcast. So from that perspective, this final question is actually for them, because I believe every expert uh, uh, who comes on this podcast has some of the other thing to actually, you know, share with the students, researchers who are trying to actually engage, participate and create their own career path in this sector. So, and I believe uh, you yourself are uh, from the academic sector as well. So I'm pretty sure like uh, you'll be uh, able to answer this question in a much more effective manner. So what are, uh, what message uh, would you like to share with student researchers and other stakeholders willing to participate in and engage in defense and security studies?
1: Well, you know, we need more and more young people to, uh, to engage and give us good ideas uh, and help us, uh, you know, uh, develop uh, on a better path. So, It would be wonderful to see more students um, going into this area. I actually am uh, have class uh, later today, so I will be with my students later today. And uh, you know, my biggest, the biggest message I would deliver to any student is follow your passion. Uh, Your research is going to be best if you are passionate about it. The things you work on, you will do best if you are passionate about it. Don't try to guess where you know the hot topics are going to be. Um, uh, yes. it, you know things things change all the time. Unexpected events happen. Uh, you know, people thought, for example, that the Middle East was becoming quiet, and there was normalization possibilities between israel and and the Arab states. And now we have this horrific war. Uh, between Israel and Hamas uh, that started yes. with the with the attacks of October seventh. So um, you know, and and we see what hap- has happened with in the Russia Ukraine war. So I I think you know people as they find topics, you know, take lots of different classes on different subjects. Uh, yes. Don't try to guess where the trends are going, but 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 if you if you find a topic that you're super interested in uh pursue it and uh you know just try to go as deeply as you can into it and if students have a passion for studying defense topics merging technologies artificial intelligence that's good uh we will need that um and uh i hope we'll get a lot of students who will be interested in those topics and you know my my uh i'm i'm associated with uh with American University and Brookings Institution and Stanford University, and my email addresses are all online on those websites and or through my own website at jamesgolgure dot com. And uh, any student is always welcome to reach out to me. I, a, a seventh grader uh, in the United States reached out to me yesterday about wanting to talk to me about NATO. so okay. <laughs> uh, I'm always happy to I'm always happy to talk to any student.
0: Nice, nice, yeah thank you very much james and it's it's uh, really uh, i'm honored to actually have you on this podcast because uh, the kind of articles that you had written i had never seen such a critical commentary again uh, i'm mentioning this again because you know that's that's something that kind of i would say uh, inspired me to explore this topic actually so yeah thank you very much uh, for all the great insights i hope the audience enjoys this episode And uh, I really hope to kind of, you know, record a few more episodes in the future as we see more uh, developments uh, in and around this topic and several other topics that we just discussed uh, during the podcast. So, yeah, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. This was great.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share, and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.